0: Tanya Heller and I, Wendy Perlin, are inviting you to listen to Clear Your Messages, our podcast focusing on effective communication and leadership.
1: One small change in a message can make a crucial impact. We will be bringing you stories, anecdotes, and conversations with experienced professionals to
0: learn from the best of the best. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a great week so far, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Clear Your Messages. I'm Tanya Heller, and today I'm excited to be speaking with Leanne Heller, who will share her insights on leadership. Leanne has worked in the field of Jewish education and special education for the past 25 years. After studying journalism in South Africa, where she established a publishing company, and television production company. She immigrated to the US in the 1980s. Her focus shifted to Jewish education when she became a mother of four sons. After teaching in local schools, she became the director of an early childhood program and is now the executive director of SULAM, a special education inclusion program for students with learning differences in K through 12. Leanne has given and continues to give talks and workshops on leadership, education and special education to the local and national Jewish education community. Leanne, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Leanne, will you share a little bit about your journey so far and what drew you eventually to this as Executive Director of Sulem?
1: Sure. So um, you already mentioned that I started out in the field of journalism, which was very exciting when I was younger. Um, and then moving to the United States and um, having a family was almost a natural segue for me to rethink what it was that I wanted to do with my life. And it was very natural for me to become deeply interested in human development as I was having my children and seeing how, you know, really the miracle of how they grew and developed and how education could shape them. I ended up having one of my children really struggling in the education system. He um, was diagnosed with ADHD at a very young age. He was impulsive and hyperactive, um, but cognitively very, very gifted. And we just couldn't find the right setting for him. He just struggled um, to function within a general education environment And I started seeing him lose his self-esteem, starting to feel bad about himself and actually become marginalized in the school community. Um, And I had to do some radical things. I took him out of the school. I tried a few other schools with him and ended up putting him at a very early age 12 years old into a community college of course I, I, there was no ways i was going to send a 12 year old being being a somewhat of a, an over probably an overinvolved parent i there was no ways i was putting him into college at 12 by himself so i decided i would be going along with him, which I know sounds pretty weird, and it was it was an unusual uh, uh, sight for the professors at the college to see a mother come to to class um, with her child. Um, I, I actually took the classes with him. I took biology classes and math classes just because I was fascinated, and I got a really deep insight into education. I, I felt like I had a new. Um, window into what the younger generation was going through and what they were learning and what some of their challenges were. And at the same time, I saw the value that my child and every child has. I think that every person put into this world has a very specific objective in life. And if we marginalize them because they're different, we lose out.
0: Leanne, what were you hoping to find in the schools? What were you looking for for your own child? You know, I really just wanted
1: the school community to see this incredibly pre- precious, wonderful human being as somebody who brings value. To the school community instead of someone who is impulsive. And I understand it's it's not easy as a teacher having an impulsive, hyperactive child in your classroom is really bright and calling out and, and disrupting. Um so I, I certainly understand their viewpoint, but I also wish that we could, you know, we could look at. At children and see, you know, they have value, they are deeply valuable. And if only we could provide the kind of supports that they need, so that they can reach their potential and offer society what it is that they've been put on this earth to do.
0: Do you feel that if there were sufficient or additional resources, your son might have been able to continue?
1: I think that this is, um, this is the dilemma of education today is, you know, everybody is a diverse learner. Nobody learns in an average kind of way. Um, And we need as many resources as we possibly can get. And there's just never enough. Um, So yes, of course, I wish there were more resources for my son. And that's one of the reasons that I went into ultimately have gone into special education, because I feel that it's important, not only for the children who need the resources, but it's important for the general community to actually see that when we provide resources for kids, they can be amazing and they shouldn't be marginalized and they should be valued for what they have to offer to the community.
0: I think this can be so helpful to so many people. Before I go to how you got into this leadership position, I just want to know how did that college experience go with the two of you together?
1: It was incredible. It is some of my best memories growing up uh, with my kids. Um, really having the opportunity to be in the classroom with people who were just starting out on their careers and on their journeys and seeing what this new generation um, has to offer and what some of these struggles and challenges are. I think they have real struggles and challenges. I also think they have some really interesting things to offer and being part of that and witnessing it and, and realizing that I could actually have an impact ultimately on the next generation, that's what education is, right? It's its especially a, a leadership in education is you are having um, the the honor of having some piece of yourself make an impact on the, the upcoming generation.
0: Right. And what an interesting perspective also with more maturity at our age to be able to go back.
1: It was fabulous. And it was also interesting to see how this 12-year-old who um, was really um, cognitively very, very gifted was able to fit himself into a, a college education, a college classroom and be successful there, but not be successful in an elementary or middle school classroom. It was just an interesting perspective.
0: Did you find the professors communicated to him in a different way? You know, they
1: were so accepting of him in a different kind of way. There was no expectation that he stayed in class, that he listened, that he sat, that he he behaved in a certain way other than, you know, don't call out and interrupt, which was obvious and he didn't. Um, But if he needed to get up and walk out the room, you know, and take a five minute break or a 10 minute break, no one raised an eyebrow in the end, would he be able to perform on those exams and tests? and he always did he in fact he usually came out at the top of the class so that was surprising and exciting actually i think for the professors i think they deeply valued him and actually for the first time in his life he felt deeply valued so it was overall an extremely positive experience after going through pretty uh, difficult experiences in his early childhood
0: that is yeah. so exciting I wanted to ask you a little bit about in your leadership experience now as executive director at Sulam, what does being a leader mean to you?
1: Wow. Um, you know, I think that in my in, in all fields of leadership, for me, being a leader is making sure that other people can be successful. I, I'm leading a team of people who have brilliant ideas, who have excellent skills, um, who who want to Um, take initiative and and advance the work that they're doing and I see myself as as the person who clears the path and clears the way for them to be highly successful
0: that's such a wonderful way of putting it because it's so different from a manager right yeah that's encouraging and motivating and inspiring others as you said to be their best
1: right I mean I think that one can support them and be um and be encouraging, certainly, um, but really like looking, listening deeply to what people are trying to express, what they're trying to achieve, understanding it deeply and supporting and encouraging and open, as I say, opening the pathway so that they can achieve that success.
0: How do you share your vision and the mission of the organization with them? How do you be sure that they understand and embrace that vision?
1: Right. Well, I, I you know we start each year, you know in 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 the field of education, we start each year with an orientation um, for both new staff and um, returning staff. And I've always made it um one of the most important things that I do as part of our opening um, welcome is to talk about what the mission of our organization is. You know, not just what we do or how we do it, but why we do it, which goes back to, I think it's Simon Sinek who who talks about the golden circle. Um, we actually talk about the golden circle and we talk about why do we, why do, we do what we do? And in fairness, um, you know, why we do what we do is pretty obvious. We're not building computers, which is what Simon Sinek is talking about. We're educating students and we are, ensuring that students who have a challenging time in education are given the supports that they need. That's the why, you know, we believe that every single student has the right to be in a general education classroom and has the right to be included and valued. So it's an easy why, but it's repeated all the time because we use that as our value proposition when we have challenging moments, right? If, if if a challenge arises, we go right back to, well, what's our value? What is it that we believe? And are we acting in a way that reflects what we believe?
0: How do you deal with a situation when staff or others' morale may be low for whatever reason? Um, it's bringing them back to the why, of course. Is there anything else other strategies you use as a leader to kind of keep them going when things are tough?
1: Look, in in education today, um, after COVID, we know from the news that educators have experienced burnout. There's a level of exhaustion. Education is difficult at the best of times. Special education is very, very difficult at the best of times. Um, So, yes, I have noticed that staff are feeling exhausted um, to the level and to the degree of burnout and I think that acknowledgement, starting with acknowledgement, has to be your first line, right? This is really hard work. That you do it and you do it well, but it's really hard. And, and and how can we help? How can we support? How can we how can we be there?
0: How do you lead your team through making those adaptations during COVID to online learning?
1: It was quite something. It was um, wow, what a learning curve. <laughs> we we I, I remember sitting in our office saying, you know, it could be a shutdown, it could be two weeks, we should take some books home. Um we we started preparing ourselves and saying, you know, maybe we should take some books home, maybe we should tell our students to take some books home. And we really thought it was going to be two or three weeks. And thankfully we did. We we did prepare a little in advance. And then over time, we realized, of course, just like everybody else, this is not two or three weeks. This is we're in for the long haul. Um, And so I had to redirect our focus a little. So a lot of schools were focused over. I remember over the summer of that year, schools were focused on, well, will we open or when do we open? Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's get Zoom up and running. Let's get um, cameras in classrooms. Let's uh, divide our desks and put them six feet apart. That was important work to be done. But I did redirect our focus a little more towards how do we teach on Zoom? Because, you know, it's not like, you just open up a camera and you do what you typically do in the classroom.
0: No, and you were talking about teachers' expectations about kids having to sit in that chair and stay, but I could imagine you teaching on Zoom and they're completely out of the screen.
1: Whole different can of worms. So we did, We we spent a lot of time Really thinking about how to teach on Zoom, what that looks like. We brought in experts to um, give professional training to our teachers. We really focused deeply on that aspect, so that when school actually didn't open up in the in the fall, um, we were we felt ready and prepared as much as we could possibly have been. Um, and I think that the teachers felt supported as well, um, even though they actually. Donated their time over the summer. Teachers are not typically paid over the summer, but they recognized the importance of what was about to happen and they came and they participated over the summer in professional development so that they were ready to do that on, you know, the online education. Yeah.
0: That really speaks to their values and resilience. In your role, you interact with a diverse group of professionals and teachers, educators, students. I imagine you also regularly communicate with the parents. Yes. As a leader of the program and as a parent yourself, what do you find important in communicating with parents?
1: So, you know, there's this saying um, in special education that um, the parents of children with disabilities never expected to be at the table having a discussion with a team of special educators. They didn't have the expectation. They don't initially want to be there. On the other hand, the special educators—they went into the profession. That's what they—that's what they decided to do with their lives. That's what they want to do. So you've got two partners on opposing sides, right? Parents who don't really want to be there, and special educators who made it their lifelong journey and passion. So you already have that um, could potential conflict. So really entering the conversation with that knowledge and with the deepest empathy. Um, for where the parents are and what they're experiencing. And I don't mean sympathy, I mean empathy, being able to put yourself in their shoes and experience what they're experiencing and then have conversation from that perspective. Sometimes the conversations are very, very difficult conversations, very sad conversations. And they sometimes can be conversations filled with conflict. But I think that there is definitely an acknowledgement from parents um, who are struggling, that that there's a team of people who are on their side, who have the empathy um, and the understanding of where they are. So I would say that uh, the, the best thing you can do in communication is to be able to be empathetic, probably in all fields, not just in education and not just with parents.
0: Right. And then is one of the goals to bring the two, as you said, opposing sides together as one team?
1: absolutely we know from research that um, parents who are deeply involved in the educational team of their child the outcome for children far exceeds when when parents are not as involved so we encourage right from the start that parents are deeply involved we we acknowledge that sometimes we're going to have hard times sometimes we might uh, really not agree with each other and we can move p- past that we can continue working together yeah.
0: What have you learned
1: as a leader that you didn't know when you started out? How would you say you've grown as a leader? I think that I've uh, I've learned to be quieter. You know, like I think a lot of leaders when we start out, we we've got ideas and we want to talk them out and we want to express them and we want to bring our ideas to fruition, um, which is very valid, very valid. I think that over time, what I've learned is. I know what my ideas are. They're in my head. I think about them all the time. I'm more interested now in what everyone else has to say. I want to hear what other people's ideas are and see how we can bring those ideas together um, and bring those to fruition. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I find it so interesting and ironic in a way that as a leader gains more experience and theoretically has more to say and more to teach, they do often become quieter and listen more. And I wonder if it's a combination of confidence in oneself and humility
1: yeah I think it's good and, and it's emotional it's some emotional
0: intelligence like emotional intelligence uh, yeah usually we end the podcast with a few rapid fire questions is that okay if I go ahead sure. Leanne what's the best advice you've ever received so, you know, I was thinking
1: about that question because I've had so much advice over my lifetime, but I'll tell you the best piece of advice I received that's not in relation to my leadership. It was actually advice to me given by my mother a very long, very, very long time ago. It was during my teenage years. And and if you cast yourself back to your teenage years, that's the time when we're, we're vain and we're thinking about, you know, what everyone else has and what you don't have and and that kind of competitive nature that we all we all tend to have during adolescence and I remember one day she she's saying to me you know you're never going to be the prettiest you're never going to be the smartest you're never going to be the richest so stop comparing yourself to other people and start working on the best person that you yourself can be
0: that's great advice
1: and, and you know, I've really taken that advice. I, I think about it often. I reflect on it often. It was very wise. I've, at the time, I was very offended. <laughs> but, but looking back, like, really, that is very profound. I think that working on ourselves as human beings and what we have to offer the world is far more uh, cost effective in terms of time than trying to compete with everybody around you.
0: And I think that extends both to our personal lives and professional lives.
1: Exactly right. Yeah.
0: What's the worst advice you've ever received?
1: So I was thinking about that as well. And I, I don't know if I've had terrible advice. I can't think of a time that someone's given me really terrible advice. The only thing that I can say is every now and again, I've had ideas or I've had vis- a vision for something and I'd talk it out with someone and they'd, I would get, you know, like, you can't do that or that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And I've found that usually when people say that to me, I I just naturally dig even harder and push even harder to I find. I was hoping people. you'd say that. Yeah, like that, like th- that kind of like maybe it's intended as as advice, um, but it usually lands up with me pushing even harder to find out why, why would it be impossible? And very often, it's turned out to be um, a very good opportunity. It's an advantage. You know, you tell me you can't do it, I'm going to find out why I can't do it and, and and how I can actually do it. So
0: do you always have that personality, that character, great? I, th- I think so. I think
1: I was born a little stubborn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. What do you believe is the most important skill a leader should have? besides maybe this persistence?
1: I think um, the ability to be quiet and listen and also have the emotional intelligence and the self-confidence to want to see other people succeed so that ultimately their success becomes your success, right?
0: Right, right. Listening is essential and I think it just translates to every field. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as your biggest success? What are you most proud of?
1: What am I most proud? I think that... Raising four amazing sons who are kind. Um, I think that's leadership. Parenthood is leadership.
0: I can ask you about leading at home.
1: Uh Aha. So I think, you know, for me, it was really important that I had children who would be kind and and who would be thoughtful and who would have critical thinking skills. Um, I didn't ever mind what they did with their lives, what, you know, in terms of their careers. I just wanted them to be kind, thoughtful um people who give back to the world and I think that's the thing that I'm the most proud of that I have four sons who who fulfill all of those criteria for me
0: Uh, would you change anything about your journey if you could and if yes what would you change you
1: know I, I Look, I think every human being goes through a journey in life that is ups and downs and trials and errors. Uh, I look back and there are times that have been challenged and I've had challenges, but I don't think I would change anything. I think challenges are opportunities. We grow and we learn from them. I'm very grateful for the incredible opportunities I've been given in life. And I don't, I don't think I would change anything. I don't think so. No.
0: A wonderful attitude and perspective. Thank you for that. Was there a book you especially enjoyed? Any book you might recommend? So so many books. I,
1: I read a lot. Um, I find myself reading multiple books at the same time and sometimes not always finishing them all, getting the gist of them and moving on to the next. I listen to um, Audible a lot. Um, there are a lot of leadership books out there, You know, Simon Sinek, Daniel Pink, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. You know, they are just so many wonderful ones. But there's one in particular that I go back to repeatedly, and it's written by Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. He writes about Moses, who was the ultimate leader, right, of all time, in his opinion. And, you know, well, first of all, Jonathan Sachs was the thought leader and the philosopher of his time i think um talking about moses the leader of all time um, moses led in the most counterintuitive ways in the most um thoughtful ways and and there's a book um, that he wrote called lessons in leadership and that's the i you know if you if you read any deep and provoke provocative book i would say that's the one
0: thank you i've got to look that up for yeah. sure Leanne, it sounds like you may not have a whole lot of time, especially when you're leading your team at home, you're leading your group at work, and you're reading multiple books at the same time. <laughs> Outside of reading, what do you love to do when you have any free time?
1: Mm, I, I like to, well, it's a good question. Um, my life is very full. I'm very thankful for having a very, very full life. I do have the the great fortune of having four grandchildren. Um, So spending time with my family, spending time with my children and my grandchildren is always my go-to when I have any downtime. It's never enough, of course. And then again, just, you know, travel, exercise, walking, a little bit of running. Those are all things that I really enjoy.
0: That sounds great. What advice would you give to a new leader?
1: I think, you know, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Hmm. It's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are opportunities. They're learning opportunities. So don't be afraid to make mistakes. Be courageous. Try new things. If you're not failing, some of the time means you're not pushing hard enough. And and stop and listen. Stop and listen.
0: Thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing your stories and insights. To our listeners, we look forward to bringing you additional discussions focusing on leadership and effective communication.
1: That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Tanya.